Um, with that, turn to Colossians chapter 3. If you're new to us or don't have a Bible, there is a Bible in the pew back in front of you. You can open up to page 984. Page 984. We're going to be in Colossians chapter 3. As you turn there, um, we've been in a series called Transforming Presence. And our desire in this sermon series that we've been talking about for a couple of weeks is, is that we want to remind ourselves that God is shaping us, God is forming us, God is moving in our lives. The way God moves in your life, the way you're going to see God um, do great things in your life is by being committed to everyday practices, every day, week by week, and seeing God move, right? Like if you're looking at the world and you're wondering why is there so much issues, why are there problems, how can we change the world around us? How can we change the community around us? How can I positively affect the people around me? The way God's going to do that is first by transforming you and then using you to transform the community around us with the gospel, right? And we, and we said, how, how are some of those things that, that God transforms us? How does he shape us? Well, we said by studying our word, right? Being in the Bible. God has already spoken. He has something to say. If you want to know what he has to say, you have to read it, right? We talked about meditation. Not only studying it, but, but thinking about it. Evaluating it. Last week, we talked about fasting, right? Fasting, which is which is um, holding back our, our fleshly desire to eat or to, to fast from something. And, and because we have experienced God in really powerful ways, we want more. We want to see his presence in our lives, and that's why we fast. Today, interesting topic, we're going to talk about forgiveness. Everyone say forgiveness. forgiveness. You didn't think that forgiveness was a spiritual discipline, but I'm making it one. I think it's easy for us to say, yep, check off the box, read my Bible. Yep, I study, I, I meditate, I fast, I'm in community, I'm in a group that meets on Sunday morning, I'm in a home group that meets throughout the week, I'm serving in the church, check, 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 check. I've done good. But, but I think there are other practices that we need to practice, other habits that we need to practice. And forgiveness, I think, is one of them. Let's read Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 to 15. If you'd like to highlight or underline your Bible, I would highlight and underline the first two words. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against the other, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. Interesting. So you also must forgive. And above all, these put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Okay, in this chapter, we want to get a good idea of what's happening, what Paul's talking about, what God is talking about in this chapter. What Paul is essentially saying 
is who we are is directly connected to what we are. Who we are is directly connected to what we are. Look at verse 12. Paul says, put on then, think about like clothing, put this on. God's chosen ones. What does that mean? It means that God called you out of darkness. You are elect. God took you out of darkness and he made himself aware to you. You responded to that awareness by submitting to his kingship and lordship and God then now draws you to him. You are part of his family. Just like God picked Israel to be his people, God picks you to be part of his family. What else does he say? He says, holy and beloved. What is holy? It means separated. You're different. You're not like the rest of the world. You're not what culture has told you you are. You're consecrated. You have a purpose. You have a meaning in life. God has something for you to do. And that is to live differently than the world does. To live differently than what culture says you have to live. And then he says you are beloved. Meaning that you receive love from God. God shows and demonstrates his love to you. So if, if this is who you are, then this is what you are. What are you? Look at the next part. It says compassionate hearts. You have compassion for others. You care for others. You're kind. You have a spirit of humility. You're not prideful. You're meek and you're patient. You're not eager or overly eager, sinfully eager. You bear with one another. That is hard because some of you guys are weird. <laughs> and you're laughing, but you're weird. And because you're weird, I have to bear it. That's what that means. Right? Some of you are not laughing, and you're probably weird. <laughs> so we have to bear with one another. And check this out. And if one has a complaint against the other, meaning this is talking about the church, this is talking about family business, right? In the church. If someone has a complaint with one another, what does it say to do? Forgive each other. So who we are is directly connected to what we are. And then Paul saying, I want to focus our attention on forgiveness. We can outline each of those characteristics or attributes, but I want to focus on forgiving each other. Paul says we ought to forgive. In fact, there's probably about 50, if you did a Google search, there's about 50 Bible verses, if not more or less, around that number Bible verses that talk about forgiveness. And many of those Bible verses say to forgive each other. God commands us to forgive. I want to ask you a question. You guys ready for the question? Here's the question. Is there someone you have to forgive? Why haven't you forgiven them? Is there someone in your life you have to forgive? Next question, why haven't you forgiven them? Or 
is there someone you have to ask for forgiveness? Why haven't you asked for forgiveness yet? Paul says right here, bear with one another. That means to tolerate our weirdness. That is my translation, but that's essentially what Paul's saying, right? Like to tolerate each other, to bear with one another, understanding that each of us are flawed, each of us are sinful, we're not perfect, and because of that, we have a mutual understanding. You're gonna be weird, and I'm gonna be weird. But then he says, you have to forgive. Question again, who do you have to forgive? And why haven't you forgiven them? Or who do you need to ask for forgiveness and why haven't you asked them yet? Maybe you're saying, because I don't really know what forgiveness is. Perfect, you're in the right place because let me give you a definition of what forgiveness is. I'm gonna give you Tim Keller's definition of forgiveness. And this is what Tim Keller says. Tim Keller was a famous pastor in New York City who's gone to be with the Lord Jesus this, I think, either last year, I think it was. Famous author. And this is what he says forgiveness is. It is to release the wrongdoer from liability by absorbing the debt oneself rather than seeking revenge and paying them back. Does that ring a bell? Like, let me read you the definition and then see if you guys are really creative enough to think of an example of someone who's done this. Ready? To release the wrongdoer from liability by absorbing the debt, right? So, in other words, someone has done something to you. They owe you something because of what they did wrong. But instead of seeking revenge or payback, you absorb the debt yourself, right? You take on the suffering of whatever that wrongdoer did and you don't seek revenge or payback. Can you think of an example? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right? Like, I love this definition is because it helps us see the greatest example that you and I would ever see in our entire life. The greatest example of someone forgiving someone else of wrongdoing is Jesus. You and I are sinful. You and I are stand before God sinful. And God in every right should pour out his wrath and justice on us. But because God loves us so much, he sent his son to die on the cross for your sin. And not only to die for the sin that you committed yesterday, but to die for the sins you've committed your entire life. Whatever you committed in the past, whatever you are committing right now, and whatever sin you're going to commit until you draw your last breath, God has died on the cross for it. That is the greatest example of forgiveness. In fact, that is the pinnacle of all Christianity and the gospel. That a loving, just, holy God loves you so much that he will take on the debt that you owe him in your sin and say, you don't have to pay me back. Here's the question. Is there someone in your life that you have to give, forgive? Why haven't you forgiven them? 
you clapped and you cheered, but I think when you were clapping and cheering, you indicted yourself, right? You said, yes, he's forgiven my sins. Yes, the gospel is true. Wait a second. I still have bitterness, resentment towards the person who did me wrong. And you're probably sitting there saying, Tim, you don't know how bad they did me wrong. Are you aware of how bad you and I did God wrong? Why do we find it so hard to forgive? Why do you find it so hard to forgive the person who did you wrong? And I, listen, I am well aware there are complexities. It's nuanced, especially when you're thinking about physical, emotional, verbal abuse. That is complex and nuanced. So that takes a little bit more time. It takes more energy. Um, it takes a lot of wisdom. It takes people who are wise within the church to help you through that. It takes people who you trust, like counselors, to help you through that. So I'm not saying like, hey, you just forgive. And it, no, no, it's, I'm saying it's complex. But overall, there is no Bible verse in the Bible that says, hey, someone did you so wrong that you should never forgive them. Never says, hey, here are all the reasons why you should not forgive someone. No, the, the Bible says you got to forgive. And especially you have to forgive the person who's repentant. Right? If there's someone who's done you wrong and has pleaded for you, hey, would you forgive me? And you have withheld that forgiveness. You also stand before a holy just God in sin, rejecting that forgiveness for whatever they did. The question, why do we have a problem? Why is it so hard for us to forgive. Can I give two reasons why? Here are two reasons why you might resonate with these, you might not, but this is what I think we'll see in this chapter and other in the rest of the New Testament. Here's one reason. Um, the reason why I think you and I have a difficulty forgiving people who've done us wrong, who have hurt us, is because the impulses of our flesh fight against forgiveness. The impulses of our flesh fight against forgiveness. I'll show you. Look at verse 5 in chapter 3. Paul says, put to death. Therefore, what is earthly in you? What does that mean? He's going to explain what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. Meaning, God is coming to judge the sinful patterns and actions of the sinful people of this world. So he's saying, this is not who you are. Because you are made new, right? Like, you are a new creation. If you are a Christian, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, this is not who you are. But he's saying, this is who you were. This is what you used to do. And this is what you have to kill. This is what you have to put to death. Meaning, this is what you have to fight not to be. Look at verse 8. But now you must put to them, you must put them all away. What do we have to put away? Well, the things that we were before, who we were before, and guess what? Put away what? Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from our mouth. Right? Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self. And you have put on the new self. What is he saying? 
there are two versions of us. How many of you in this room have a smartphone? Raise your hand. Okay, good. The ones who don't have a smartphone, I imagine you have one of those like flip with the dial buttons and the antenna, antenna remember those? Yeah, so if, you, if you have one of those, please talk to me. We need to talk. You need to upgrade quick. Um, I love new technology. I don't often buy new technology. I like to look at it. I like to think that I like to buy it, but I don't normally buy new technology. Now, as you know, um, almost every year now, if you have an iPhone, team, team, team Apple, raise your hand. Yes, we are the redeemed, the chosen. <laughs> team Android and whatever else you do, I am so sorry. You have not tasted the land of milk and honey. You have not experienced the ability for your phone, laptop, iPad, iWatch, and everything sync together in one beautiful symphony. That is my pitch. I know John Strong doesn't have an iPhone. He's cringing right now because he hates, he hates Apple. Anyway, Apple comes out, Apple comes out, or every phone company comes out with the new, the new version of a phone. Here's my issue. I like looking at the new phones, but here's what I'm worried about. I'm worried about that the new version doesn't feel like or behave like the old version. Meaning, I have come accustomed to the old version of my phone. I know where the apps go. I know how they function. I know where the settings are. I know what it does and what it doesn't do. I know its capacity, so I am very comfortable with my phone. And I want to keep it that way. But you know that every time they come up with a new phone, they come up with a new operating system. And then they want to change it and jazz it all up. I like to see the jazz. I just don't want to experience jazz, right? Like, <laughs> so what do I do? Like, I hold on as much as I can because why? I am very comfortable with the old version. Similarly, that is what Paul's saying here. There are two versions of us. The old version. The sinful version. The person that is very comfortable for us to be. Listen, you don't have to teach me to be angry. I have done that well since I was born. Right? Isn't that the truth? You don't have to teach me to be lustful. Trust me, I can do that well on my own. Wrathful? I can be wrathful. I can have bitterness and resentment. Do you want to see me be impatient? I can do that when I'm hungry and I'm at Texas Roadhouse and they don't bring the bread when I want them to bring the bread or when they just bring me one basket. It drives, drives me insane, right? We can be impatient. You don't have to teach me to be impatient. You know what it's a lot harder to do? Verse 12, to be compassionate, to be kind, to be humble. I want to be prideful, trust me. I have enough insecurities in my life that I can be prideful, right? Because that's what prideful is, right? It's to hide the insecurities that we have. I have to be meek. I have to be patient. I have to bear with you. You have to bear with me. That's the harder thing to do. And Paul is saying, you have to kill. You have to destroy. You have to not be the person you used to be. And the reason why you and I have a problem with forgiving other people is because we are still struggling to be the people that we used to be, though we shouldn't be. The impulses of that old person in us is still coming out. 
How are you to forgive someone if you are still angry and bitter towards them? How are you to forgive someone if you're still raffle in your heart? How can you be forgiving of someone else if you still gossip and talk back about them, talk bad about them? How can you forgive someone if your words are not life-giving and your words are meant to destroy? How are you to be forgiving of someone if you're lying about them? You see how it's all connected? If you want to learn how to forgive, if you want to forgive the person, you have to first realize you are sinful and you have to put that to death. And then you also have to realize that your flesh is going to fight every desire in your heart to allow yourself to forgive them. While the spirit of God says in you, forgive. Which version of you do you want to be today? Here's a second reason why I think we don't want to forgive or have trouble forgiving. This is an interesting one. It's because we believe they don't deserve our forgiveness. We truly believe they do not deserve our forgiveness or any forgiveness. It reminds me of the story of Jonah. How many, how many of you remember the story of Jonah? Raise your hand. Okay. If you don't know the story of Jonah, it's on page 774. I don't know why I know that, but 774, I think, in the Pubeck Bible in front of you. Jonah was a prophet in the Old Testament. God tells Jonah, hey, I want you to go to Nineveh. Nineveh was a city in Assyria. Assyria was an enemy of Israel. And God says, I want you to go to your enemy, go to the capital, go to Nineveh, and I want you to preach. Jonah says, I ain't going. So what happens? He gets on a ship and he tries to run from God. What happens on the ship? He's shipwrecked, they throw him off, and then a big whale swallows him. That is for a different story. You're probably sitting there, some of you are like, what? There was a whale? Yes, a big fish, whatever. Jonah prays. He doesn't repent, but he prays. The, the, the whale sput him, how do you say past tense spit? Spat? Okay, let's go with sput. I like that. <laughs> yeah, welcome to the chapel. The pastor doesn't know vocabulary. Um, let's go with, yeah, spat. Is it spat? Spat, okay. The, the, the whale or the big fish spat him out. That doesn't sound, I like sput. Sput him out. <laughs> sput him out. He goes to Nineveh. He preaches, and what happens to the city of Nineveh? They repent. And what does the Bible say about Jonah? The Bible says in chapter, Jonah chapter four, it says, Jonah was angry. Why was Jonah angry? He tells God, I knew that you were forgiving, and I knew that you were going to forgive them. What was Jonah saying to God? They do not deserve forgiveness. Why? They brutally killed Israel's people. They took over land. They, they were ruthless in their attempt 
to grow the empire. And Jonah knew that God was caring and merciful and kind. And he knew that if they repented, if they asked for forgiveness, he would forgive them. But Jonah didn't believe that Nineveh deserved forgiveness. Why? Because they hurt him too bad. The sin against Israel was too great. God's justice and wrath should have been poured on them. That's the same thing that we do towards other people. We want God to be merciful and kind to us. We want God to be long-suffering towards our sin. We want God to forgive us all the time. And many of us are gracious and we're, we're forgiving. And God, we, we, we're sorry and you cry. And yet, in return, we don't believe that the person who's offended us deserve our forgiveness. Can I say, in strong words, how dare any of us stand before a holy and just God and plead and ask him for forgiveness, and yet you and I refuse to extend forgiveness to someone else? How dare us? None of us, none of us should ever withhold forgiveness. And in your heart, you're saying, nope, you're wrong. I want you to find it in scripture. We stand before a gracious God who's forgiven us. We stand before a God who's forgiven you. Why do you think that the sin that someone committed to you is greater than the sin you committed before God? Think about that. When you withhold forgiveness, you are communicating to God that your sin, your rebellion against him, our sin and rebellion against God is not as great as the sin that the person did to you. And therefore, they don't deserve to be forgiven. But you deserve to be forgiven. We deserve to be forgiven because God is gracious and kind. Do you see how that works? You can't say God is gracious and kind, loving and merciful, and you want to receive that love, that grace, that kindness, that forgiveness for God, and then you say, no, but I'm not going to extend it to anyone else because you don't know how much they hurt me. You don't know what they did. You don't know how it was negatively impacted me. And I said, yes, I don't know. But you know who I know? A God who was forgiving towards you. Let me give you a couple of reasons that we find in scripture to forgive other people. The first reason, kind of already alluded to this, the reason why you and I should forgive other people who have hurt us, who have sinned against us, is because God expects us to forgive them. I'll read you another passage. If you weren't convinced by Colossians chapter 3, Ephesians chapter 4, 32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. There's forgiveness all throughout the Bible. In fact, like, that is the gospel. A loving God forgives his people. A loving God forgives his children. A loving God forgives his people. 
God expects us to forgive. In fact, God commands us to forgive. So therefore, if God commands us to forgive, what should our response be to God's word? Forgive. There you go. You're getting there. (laughs) The coffee hasn't hit. Here's another reason why I think you and I should forgive. It's because God's character. God's character. Think about that for a second. God can't help himself but to forgive you. Want me to prove it to you? You know this Bible verse. It's a famous Bible verse. It's Psalms 103. He does not deal with us according to our sins. Imagine that. God knows that you have sinned against him and he doesn't treat you like you treated him. He doesn't treat you like you offended him. He doesn't treat you like the sin you committed. He doesn't repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions. What does that mean? That means that God does not look at you. When he sees you, he sees Jesus. God has forgiven you of your sins. And someone needs to hear this today. You still think that you don't deserve God's grace and mercy. The truth is you don't, but he's forgiven you. So many of us are living this, this, this lifestyle that like we haven't accepted God's love and God's forgiveness and we're still like depressed and feel guilty of our sin and God says, hey, listen, I've forgotten about it. And if God has forgotten about your sin, then you should also forgive other people. Luke 15, 20 says, and he rose and came to his father, but while he was still a long way, his father saw him. Oh, the, sorry, I skipped a note. Um, here, here's the character of God is found in the, the, the parable of the prodigal son. Remember? The son squanders the inheritance, runs away, takes the money, realizes he can't do it on his own, realizes he's alone, realizes he sinned, and he comes back. What is the response of the father? It wasn't like, hey, no, you can't come back. The response of the father was, come, come back, come home. That is the character of God. Some people think that the story of the prodigal son is about the son. No, it's about the father. The father who is gracious and kind, benevolent and forgiving. Luke 15 says, the father arose, and while he was still a long way, this is the son, his father saw him, felt compassion, ran and embraced him and kissed him. This is the character of God, a forgiving God. Third reason. They have that heat cranking in here, and I'm telling you right now, if we don't end this sermon soon, I'm gonna look like one of those chickens. I'm gonna be burnt. I'm, are you guys hot? No? Dan Cooper's like, no, I was in Florida all week. Okay. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Dan. Third reason why, sorry, third reason why you and I should forgive, why you and I are called to forgive. I've been saying it for like the last 15 minutes. It's because God forgave us. That's what the end of verse 13 says, right? Forgive because he's forgiven us. What does 1 John 1 say? Famous Bible verse if we confess our sins, he is what? And what? To do what? To forgive us of our what? 
And what else? And to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. This is the God that you and I serve. The God who forgave our sins, the God who is forgiving our sins, and the God who will forgive our sins. I like to think of the parable of the unforgiving servant. Remember that parable? If you don't know, quickly, I like these, I don't know, I'm going with parables today. Um, there's a parable that Jesus talks about in the Gospels. And he says, the kingdom, of, the kingdom of heaven is like this. A king who's about to settle all debts. Many people owe him money and he's about to settle it. The end is near, the end of his reign or whatever it is, is coming to an end and he's gonna settle all accounts. He gets a servant, one of his servants comes and his servant owns, owes him 10,000 talents. And 10,000 talents are like a lifetime worth of wages. Right? The servant pleads, I, I'll pay you back. I'll pay you back. I, just give me time. The king knows he can't pay it back. It's a lifetime worth of wages. There's no amount of time that he could give him that would pay him back the money. So the Bible says the king had compassion and the king forgave his debts. So what do you think the unforgiving servant does? He goes away and says, yay, I'm gonna forgive everybody now. No, what does he do? Someone else owes him a debt, owes him 10 denarii, I think it is, the Bible says. And that's like a couple of years worth of debt, maybe a couple of months, maybe a couple of years. And he refuses to, to forgive the debt and puts the guy in jail. Right? Like, the king forgave his debts that was much greater, and yet he couldn't forgive the debt of someone else. That's not the way we forgive. You, in response to a God who's been forgiving to you, can't withhold forgiveness from someone else. We have to extend forgiveness to everyone who asks for forgiveness, to the people who have done us wrong, to the people who have hurt us, to the people who don't know what they did. Here's what happens when you don't forgive. Look at me. When you don't forgive, a root of bitterness and resentment takes form. You don't believe me? Hebrews chapter 12. Strive for peace for everyone, for the holiness with, oh, with excuse me. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see God. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up, causes trouble, and by it becomes defiled. What is Hebrews is saying? Don't let bitterness root and, and, and the way bitterness and resentment takes root, takes form, takes control of your heart is when you refuse to forgive some. One, who is the person that you have been withholding forgiveness from? Who is the person that you need to ask for forgiveness? The world doesn't believe in forgiveness. Our culture does not believe in forgiveness. You know that? Our culture believes in cancel culture. You did something wrong, we're gonna cancel you. We're gonna take you out. Our culture says, hey, 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 listen, you, you, you don't have to forgive because you're, you're the one that's been you're the one that's been offended. And in fact, you should hold on to that resentment. You should hold on to that bitterness because that bitterness and that resentment is what gives you purpose and identity. 
We celebrate people who have bitterness and resentment towards other people. That's what our culture says. Jesus says, hey, you gotta forgive. I mean, that's the whole issue in the Middle East. Two groups of people who can't forgive each other for 10,000 years. I mean, not 10,000 years, but years, thousands of years. Why are you letting bitterness and resentment take root in your heart? How is that life giving to you? Tell me, how has your life been better since you withheld that forgiveness? Because you still avoid the person. You won't look at them. You probably even forgot why you can't forgive them. It's been 20 years. Or maybe it's been recent. If you choose to withhold forgiveness, your life is gonna be marked by bitterness and resentment. And also what you're gonna forfeit is what you see in verses 14 and 15. And above all, put on love, which binds everything in perfect harmony. You can't love each other and not forgive. You can't live in peace with each other and not forgive. And you won't have peace in your life in verse 15 if you haven't forgiven other people. That doesn't make sense. And I say that again. There are situations that are complex and nuanced that you have to work through. But the place you have to get to is forgiveness. That doesn't mean for the people who have complex issues, it doesn't mean that you, they earn your trust immediately. It doesn't mean that like, there has to be some type of reconciliation. Those are complex. But in the normal, like I'm talking about normal, regular complaints and arguments and disagreements between brothers and sisters in Christ, there should be forgiveness that leads to reconciliation. In fact, the Bible says, right, Matthew, Matthew 18. Matthew 18 says, listen, if you have an issue with someone where there's unforgiveness between the two, whether you haven't forgiven them or they need to forgive you or you know that, that there's an issue, the Bible says, leave your worship, leave your gift, meaning your worship, at the altar saying, stop worshiping and reconcile yourself to that person. Why? Because when you hold Forgiveness, when there's unforgiveness, it distorts your relationship with God. It, it distorts your relationship with other people in the church. It's a fractured relationship. Why? Because God has forgiven you. You're worshiping the God who's forgiven you, and yet there's a fractured relationship with someone in the church, and you're still worshiping the God who says, oh, he's forgiven me. The Bible says you gotta go take care of that. My question for you who is the person that you have to forgive and why haven't you forgiven them? Who do you need to ask for forgiveness? Let's pray. Why don't you, in your prayer, do a couple of things. One, ask God to reveal to you where there's unforgiveness and where you need to seek forgiveness. Two, commit to doing that today. Not tomorrow, not next week, not the following week, not when you're feeling better about it, but commit to doing it today.
And then in response to that, I thank God that he's forgiven you. And thank God that he calls us to forgive each other. And how many times you should forgive each other? Jesus says it all the time, every time. 70 times seven. When should you forgive someone? Every time. And maybe you've sinned against God today or you're living in sin in some form or fashion and you have not asked God to forgive you. Why don't you take a moment and say, God, forgive me. Help me not do this or be this way. Help me to put on the characteristics of Colossians chapter 3. God, we need you. We need you now. God, would you reveal to us our unforgiveness towards other people? And God, if we need to reconcile, God, that we would do it in a way that brings you honor and glory, that's full of wisdom from your word. And God, thank you that you've forgiven us. Thank you that we were wretched and sinful and rebellious against you. And God, you turned our heart of stone into a heart of flesh. And then we can see you clearly because you have called us out of darkness. Thank you, Father God, that we are saved by grace through faith. And that we will see you one day, the completion of our faith. But in the meantime, God, help us. Help us to forgive. We pray this in Christ's name. And the people of God say, This has been a message from the chapel in Akron, Ohio. Thanks for joining us today. Our Sunday morning services are at 9 and 1040 a.m. You can join us online for our services by going to akronlive.thechapel.life. For more information about the chapel, please visit our website at thechapel.life.